Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services, and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 WRacing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hello and welcome to the Castrol Motorsport News Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Van Leeuwen, and here's what is making news this week. It's been a big weekend of racing around the globe with three of the biggest races of the year all taking place, not quite at once, but reasonably close. Marcus Ericsson became the second Swede after Kenny Brack to win the Indy 500. He was chased home by Pato O'Ward, while longtime leader Scott Dixon, who looked to have the race sewn away, was undone by a pit lane speeding penalty. Sergio Perez won the Monaco Grand Prix, a handy bit of redemption for Checo after being moved aside for teammate Max Verstappen in Spain last time out. He took full advantage of some strategic missteps from Ferrari to take and then convert the lead. Uh, Carlos Sainz was second and Verstappen third. Daniel Ricciardo was 13th, seven spots behind teammate Lando Norris. And Denny Hamlin won a dramatic Coca-Cola 600 that went for more than five hours and two overtimes. He got by Kyle Busch on the last lap to claim the win. We'll cover off more of the international goings-on later in the pod. Closer to home, there was some speed series action at Sydney Motorsport Park with Josh Buchan, Jay Hansen and Nathan Morecambe sharing the TCR Australia wins. A slender eight-car field for S5000 saw wins for Joey Mawson, Cooper Webster and Aaron Cameron, while Nathan Hearn won one Tramzan race to Owen Kelly's two. Supercars has acknowledged a number of crew injuries at recent events. Now, there was a serious head injury sustained by a crew member during the Bathurst 12-hour weekend. Fortunately, that person is now in a stable condition. And two separate finger injuries for staff from the same team at Winton. Supercars has responded by saying safety remains a prime concern and the series will always work with Motorsport Australia and teams to ensure regulations are in place to provide the safest working conditions possible. There's plenty happening in Dick Johnson Racing Land this week. Firstly, Shell was recommitted to the team, which means the iconic partnership will continue in the coming years. Uh, There were three generations of Johnsons behind the wheel of Shell Mustangs at Queensland Raceway on Monday. Uh, Dick, Stephen and Jet all took part in the Johnson Fest. It was actually Jet's first supercars lapse, and he stuck around for the evaluation day with Tom Sargent and Kai Allen that carried on after the Johnson family demo in the morning. And it's also been revealed that Anderson Motorsport is the team behind the Bathurst 1000 wildcard underpinned by a DJR Mustang, as we revealed last week. Team owner Michael Anderson will be one of the drivers, while the other driver is yet to be revealed. Stephen Betts has been named as the general manager of the dragway development at the Bend Motorsport Park. Ex-top fuel racer Vladimir Oshtashkovich has been appointed marketing and sponsorship manager, and Reno D'Alfonso will be track and event operations manager. And Toby Price and Paul Wheel will team up in a trophy truck for the SCORE International Races in North America later this year. They will tackle the Vegas Dorino, the Baja 400, and the Baja 1000. Joining me this week to discuss all that and more is a teammate that I'm glad avoided any wind-related shunts on the weekend, Stefan Bartholomew. Stefan, how was your weekend? Was too much motorsport barely enough? There was certainly a lot to follow, Andrew, and yes, you've got to watch uh, watch out for that wind. It can... Uh 
can get you right in the back. Um, But let's start with the most important uh, motorsport that was on last weekend, West Aussie Formula Ford Racing. You were back behind the wheel. I know you're itching to tell us all about it. How was it and how did you celebrate? Because we saw on the weekend, you know, there's milk being drunk at Indy. There's the Red Bull swimming pool that they like to uh, flip into (laughs) after that. Were you writing a TCR report? Is that how you uh, celebrated your great victory? That is exactly how I celebrated, and it was good. After twelve years of not racing, it was it was very cool to be back in a race car. We do a lot of racing together, you and I, Stefan, in the virtual world, and I have to say that I think that's helped a lot. Not from sharpening skills, but because we're often, you know, racing on a Friday or Saturday night, fairly well lubricated. And I'm not talking about the fine sort of lubrication you get from Castrol's range of products, but some other sort of lubrication. So when I was back in a real racing car. I was like, wow, this is quite easy when you're um, when you're sober. So it was. Uh, I think that's been very good. That's been very good preparation to get back to real world racing. And I had a ball. I've got to say, it's probably one of the funnest days I've had at the racetrack. No pressure, just driving race cars, having fun. Formula Fords are wicked to drive. Uh, so it was. It was very good to be back. I enjoyed it greatly. But yes, I did celebrate by writing a TCR report. So. Anyway, this is pretty easy when you're sober is the most amazing victory speech I think I've ever heard. And we've heard some good <laughs> ones over the years, but that uh, that takes the cake. Well, it's not always the case when we're sitting in the simulator, but very important. You know, it's good. I think they've been telling us for a while that it's easier to drive when you're sober, and uh, it's it's definitely definitely true. All right, let's uh, let's kick things off uh, on home soil. Uh, the Speed Series presented by the Shannons Motorsport Australia Championship featuring TCR Australia in the Australian Drivers' Championship Gold Star S5000 World Series or whatever it's called took place at Sydney Motorsport Park on the weekend. Uh, we went through the major winners at the top of the show, but um, there's one thing I just need to bring up, Stefan, and I don't want to sound like a broken record, but eight cars on the S5000 grid. I mean, the, the racing was okay, but back in the dying days of Formula 3, Australian Formula 3, the question always was, is this field big enough? Is this field good enough to be racing for the Australian Drivers' Championship? And surely, surely it's time to start asking the exact same question of S5000 right now. So is this a question or is this a statement? Let's, uh, well, let's see your cards first. Are you actually <laughs> saying they need to pull the gold star from S5000? I, if it's not a topic of conversation at Motorsport Australia HQ, I would be very surprised. That's what I'm saying. But am I being too harsh? I guess that's the question. Well, I don't see why you'd pull it when there's not somewhere else to place it. Just ripping it off S5000 and saying you don't have enough cars and putting it in the cupboard doesn't really help anybody. Is but they've done it before. They, they have. But And then I was pleasantly surprised that it ever came back because once that uh, tradition and that history was broken – um, yeah, I, I thought it might have been forgotten about. But the drivers at the front of that field, you've got to say, are worthy of it. I think that's a, that's a pretty key point here, that you're Aaron Cameron, Joey Mawson, those sort of guys are, are worthy of going on that list. And it's not like we haven't seen thin fields uh, vying for the gold star before. So as you know, I'm, I'm still a believer in the product. You know, These cars are loud, spectacular. They're just something different. And if I'm if I'm the Adelaide 500, it's maybe my first phone call for a support category to have something that's actually going to be different and excite people. So is eight cars enough? No. If they could guarantee twelve, probably with that sort of that sort of product, I think twelve is um, is better than twenty of some other categories. But this is the thing that they need to be on the big stages. 
they they're not going to get fields to these smaller events. That's just yep. that's I think that's the takeout from SMP that um, they can get a field when when they're on a big stage. But unfortunately, the uh, speed series isn't it. Yeah, no, I, I think you're probably right. To me, the big issue is that it's not getting better; it's getting worse. You know, it's not it's not great. It doesn't look as good as it did a year ago. Um, the, the field's not as strong as it was a year ago when Thomas Randall was in there and so on. I don't know. There's talk of overseas interest in the car. They may be on the move. Uh, perhaps, as, perhaps you know, the series being sold is a more elegant option than just stripping it of the gold star. Um, I think it's important, like, that nobody is a bigger enjoyer or supporter of open wheel racing than me. I love open wheel racing, but I think we've kind of answered the question of why there was no premier open wheel class in Australia that's racing week in, week out. What you're saying is 100% correct. Like maybe maybe this category only needs to race three or four times a year and it's at the Grand Prix and it's at the Adelaide 500 and it's at the Gold Coast, whatever that ends up being. You know, like that's perhaps that's that's the answer. But then you got to ask, is that the Australian Drivers' Championship? And I get what you're saying. If it goes back in the cupboard, it probably does never come back because this probably is the last big swing at trying to, trying to make an open-wheel category work in this country. But – I just don't sit there and watch the current product and think this is, you know, look at these guys racing for the gold star for one of the biggest prizes in Australian motorsport. To me, it doesn't quite uh, it doesn't quite sit right. It, it will be interesting that so the next round is Hidden Valley, which is not quite a AGP or a Gold Coast, but it's still a big event. So yeah. I think if they can get 12 cars there, that's quite a healthy sign for it. But it's interesting that you that you brought up the whole, um, is it going to be sold overseas? And so this is something that Barry Rogers floated publicly not too long mm-hmm. back about it going to the US. And and I do hear, hear that that's a real possibility. There is talk yep. there of, with an interested party, but it's I found it really interesting that it, it came out during a bit of to and fro with Motorsport Australia over super licence points that um, S5000 probably didn't have as many as, as they felt that it should. Um, so that, that was a bit of a political game probably there. But I, I don't know if having that out there was actually helpful for the growth of the category. Oh, like what it needs not. is teams, and to be honest, teams other than GRM who are obviously supporting it a lot and running multiple cars, but it needs that confidence for other teams to invest in cars and invest in running these cars. So, um, yeah. yeah, I would just like to see them actually come out and, and commit to it um, going forward because it is a bit of a chicken and egg that um, – you need uh, one thing to commit for the other thing to work, but um, yeah, I just I don't see how that was uh, helpful for it. Yeah, I did. I did hear a rumor, and I will stress that this is a rumor that 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 news sort of leaking out did kind of uh, put one interested party off purchasing a car. So, which obviously it would, because you go, why am I going to invest in this if I'm just going to end up with a hill climb special in no time? I, I like. I take your point about 12 cars and stuff. To me, that's still such a low bar to be aiming for. That's such a low bar to be aiming for, for for something that we want to be one of the top products in Australian racing. So I I take your point that you've kind of got a grid there, but there's, what, 17, 19 of them in the country, whatever. That's that's where we should be aiming. That's what we should be looking at if it's really going to have legs and and stand on on its own two feet at some point. Anyway, another weekend of frenetic TCR racing. Uh, it's still so, so hard to get a real read on where the form lies in that series. And it kind of sounds fun and exciting, but the randomness is it's kind of tough to engage with um, as well, Steph. And what, what is 
consistent. He's a good friend of ours, Tony Dalberto. Uh, is TD Rick Kellying his way to a, to a TCR title here without necessarily winning any races? I mean, it seems remarkable, but he's never actually won a TCR race. Yeah, it looks like he's uh, he's doing exactly that. Um, and you can bet he's hating it. He'd uh, desperately love to win a race. There's been 19 race winners since TCR Australia started in uh, 2019, and it's incredible to think he's not one of them. But mm. he is that. He's kind of become that benchmark that uh, the category needs, where the guys ahead of him are doing a really good job, and if you're behind him, you need to do better. So, yeah, it's um, it's definitely good to have some guys like TD in that field so we can at least benchmark these others uh, against him. Very, very true. One thing I did really enjoy about TCR on the weekend in, on the TV coverage was the, the race cam work that a couple of drivers did talking to the commentators during the race. Caruso, oh, yep. Moff, Will Brown, they all had a go. It was uh, proper old school, you know, Dick Johnson sort of stuff, but it really showed how hard those guys are working in the cars. The way these TCR races can go is that it's really frantic in those opening laps when the tyres are cold and then it sort of settles into a bit more of a rhythm, but it really showed how hard those guys are working all through those races. It was uh, it was good stuff. Every lap in under a minute. Every move made to matter. Every decision impacting the outcome of the race. Supercars in Perth. Every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint, May 17 to 19. Book now at Tick Attack. Supercars. Unforgettable. All right, let's have a bit of a chat about this Anderson Motorsport wildcard using a DJI Mustang uh, for the Bathurst 1000 this year. Now, we know that Michael Anderson had his first run in the car at Queensland Raceway yesterday. It is the ex-Fabian Coulthard, the famous or infamous, perhaps, uh, Debris car. Um, DJ will have a hand in running this wildcard, as we reported last week. But the entry itself will come from Anderson Motorsport, which runs in Super 2 and Super 3. Um, for those who don't know Michael, he's a Bathurst local. His recent racing experience has been, you know, reasonably, reasonably successful tilt. Um, in Super 3, we don't know the identity of the second driver for the wildcard just yet. Um now, this entry with Anderson the Will has been okayed by supercars. Uh, in the age of the super license, th- there will be some controversy around that, particularly through the lens of Nathan Hearn's denial of a super license for the 2020 Bathurst 1000. Stefan, where do you sit on the on the legitimacy of this entry and the fact that supercars has, has given it the green light? Motorsport Australia has obviously given it the green light, but we've seen instances in the past where entries have been knocked back. Yeah, I guess there's really two parts to this conversation a lot of people are asking the super license question and we know you've got to get 13 points in the previous five years under the system that's in place. And from what I can see, Michael Anderson actually makes it without needing an exemption. His Super 3 results from 2017, 18 and 21 net 19 points. So he quite easily makes that threshold. The merits of how that's weighted and all of that can be uh, can be debated, but mm-hmm. I think just to zoom out from that, I, I do love the story here. You touched on sort of a little bit about Michael before that. You know, he's, he's a 36 year old father of two who runs a successful building business in Bathurst. He's done some historic touring cars, some Super Three, and he's always dreamed of racing in the big race, and he's going to have a crack at it. Like to me, that's that's Bathurst. It's 
it's Australia's race, it's the people's race, you should be able to have a go. So I, um, yeah, I love the fact that this entry is happening. It's it's probably the most privateer entry we've seen in the 1000 since the, the Russells ran the, the wild card in, in 2015. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's, we don't know the identity of the second driver yet, but as a story to add to the race, I feel like someone like this, as long as they qualify um, within the correct percentage of the pole guy, um, yeah, I, I think this is great. The more of these entries we can have, the better. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I'm certainly not, when I bring up the Nathan Hearn thing, I'm not disparaging what Michael Anderson is doing. I think these entries should absolutely be allowed in the race. I think there's plenty of time. There's enough practice sessions up there. There's enough. Surely you work in some sort of mechanism where if somebody looks like they're not up to driving the car, you can go through a process to meet, to, to remedy that situation. Not that I think that is going to be an issue for Michael Anderson at all. Um, I guess to me, it does just highlight the absurdity of the super license system because to me, if Michael Anderson deserves one and I'm saying that he does, uh, then, then so does Nathan Hearn. And the reality is that there shouldn't be, there shouldn't be so much su- subjectivity around the whole system. And it's not just about, okay, we're going to approve you for an exemption and we're going to deny you. It's about what categories get what weighting. And, you know, we were just talking about Barry Rogers trying to play political games to get for, for, for S5000 to have more points. And I just, I know I've said this before. I just, I, I, I don't rate the system in any single way. I think that there should just be an observed license test system to decide if guys are good enough to drive these cars and that should be it. And like if I was Nathan Hearn, I would be absolutely furious right now and I think he deserves to be furious about it. Yeah, well, he's certainly uh, making his point, Nathan, in a in a positive way by uh, being very quick in the categories he is racing in. Like mm. his uh, performance again in Trans Am on the weekend, he did lose the points lead because he had a mechanical in one of the races. But, you know, seeing him drive that car, is uh, it's good value and he went from the back of the grid to second in that last race. So surely it's... Um, it's a matter of time before um, a supercars team gives him a go. Like uh, he did actually get to test that GRM car in 2020 um, before his uh, super license was denied. But um, I'd love to see uh, an existing supercars team at least throw him in for an evaluation day or something like that. Uh, he pr- he's probably going to need to do super two or whatever before he's in the conversation for an actual co-drive. But um yeah, he's one of a couple of uh, pretty exciting talents on that Speed Series bill at the moment. Oh, I'm totally with you on that. And I'd chuck Aaron Cameron in that exact same conversation. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Aaron's. I, but, you know, he's perhaps not the perfectly polished product just yet. And you could say exactly the same thing about um, Nathan. We saw him make a, a little mistake in the S5000 race where he sort of uh, elbowed Timmy Macro out of the way. But, you know, these the, both these guys are so fast and have so much potential. We're sort of seeing this movement of growing your own talent in supercast teams at the moment with the likes of Brock Feeney and Matt Payne. And even if you look at Brody Kostecki and Will Brown at Erebus to a large extent, that homegrown talent idea is is one with a fair bit of fair bit of merit. And I think if you look at the speed series sphere as a whole, uh, to me, Nathan and Aaron are the absolute standout talents uh, in terms of being the real deal and the sort of guys you could – you could bring into your operation and and turn into proper supercars drivers. Yeah, I mean, for Aaron Cameron to do what he does in S five thousand and TCR, especially on the same day as well, like yeah. it's um it's impressive that he's quick in both and he just jumps from one to the other. So he did actually get a run with Walter Andretti United at uh, Winton on an eval day, I believe, towards the end of last year. Uh, yeah. but yeah, it's it's so. It's such a big step to find the money to actually go and do Super 2 or something like that. But, um, 
it's great that we've seen the sort of young talent you've mentioned uh, there before come through in supercars in the last couple of years. So hopefully uh, these blokes get a crack at some point. While we're chatting about DJR-related things, sort of, we were when we were talking about the wildcard, uh, there were some emotional scenes out at Queensland Raceway on Monday with Dick, Stephen and Jet all getting a number 17 Shell Mustang each to drive around the track. Uh, made for some fantastic uh, picks. Uh, what a cool way for Jet to drive a supercar for the very first time. Uh, let's have a listen to what all three Johnsons had to say about it. It's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity which was presented by Ryan here, who has all these great ideas. Well, it was wet. (laughs) Which, you know, obviously uh, they they tried to sort of slow me down a bit because it's wet and I didn't want to plant old mate's car somewhere where it didn't need to be. (laughs) And, but it was, it was an experience and the cars have changed so much over the years, even since 2019, like the car feels a lot different. The engine feels different. It's just, they're, they're just a really, really nice thing and it's, I'm just very disappointed that it wasn't dry, that's all. But, you know, it was something special and, and for me, seeing how Jet's been the last week or two, sort of hanging out to sort of, sort of get into the car, it was, it was something special. I think it was made that much more special that it was all three of us together, but... Yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was, I think, a little bit hard at first to take in because it was, you know, sort of looking around and didn't quite hit me at first. But, yeah, it was something I'm, I'm never forgetting. I think, um, yeah, I think not wanting to upset Ryan and him wanting to get the footage from it all. Um, yeah, I didn't want to embarrass Dad either. That, you know, that wouldn't have made him too happy. But the good thing was that we had a radio that we could all talk to each other in the car. So I might have been doing a little bit of fatherly guidance along the way just to make sure that he kept his emotions and his right foot in check. I couldn't hear a goddamn thing. <laughs> Got Dad in front of me. I had Jeff behind me, which he should be. Uh, um, and then, uh, and then when we were side by side and all three of us were together, it was, yeah, I just kept looking around and just trying to take in what was actually happening. I mean, whether or not it does, you know, I know it was slippery with a bit of rain, but it didn't really matter for what we wanted to do. It was, um, Ryan's obviously organised and, um, and it was quite a surprise, um, which... You know, may never happen again. To be fair, have all of us in. I can assure you, won't happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to have all of us in, you know, Shelby Power Racing Mustangs was very, very cool, and um, and especially for him for have his first drive in, in one as well. So it's um, yeah, one of those days, and all the footage and the photos that's going to come out, it's going to be something that's going to be up on the wall for a long time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you know, obviously, seeing the relationship that Jet's got with my dad, um, I never had that with. With my granddad, he passed away when I was very, very young, so uh, didn't get to grow up with the granddad to be able to do that sort of stuff with. So just to see um, these two guys, the, the way they are, um, you know, it's Jed came along in a very, very hard time of mum and dad's life, and um, I think it was one of the big saviours, and uh, or he was. And, um, you know, just to see that continue now is, is pretty amazing. So I think it... Um, um, with Dad and, and being on track and, you know, we never even thought he was going to get back in a race car again. I think, you know, he's he's uh, had enough and, you know, he's happy to watch the boys do their thing. But, um, 
to be able to shoehorn him back into a current spec car was um, was pretty special. Stefan, as a student of the sport, you must have absolutely loved that. Yeah, very cool uh, initiative there from Dick Johnson Racing and uh, and Ryan Story to put that together. I mean, I think um, generational stories in sport are, are great, whether it's you know father son selections in footy or or what we see uh, in motorsport and. Um, yeah, it's just a good example of, of a team really uh, doing something cool and, you know, the, the jet angle of it's just as, as exciting as the fact that DJ was back driving a car. Like, it's, uh, it's just a great story. Well, I covered off the 106th Indy 500 winner at the top of the show. The bottle of milk went to Swede Marcus Ericsson. Uh, it was a tough one for the Antipodeans in the field, Stefan. The Brisbane Bullet, Scott Dixon, had the thing shot to pieces until he sped in pit lane. Heartbreaking for him. Uh, Will Powell was kind of never really in the hunt at any point during the month of May for a race win. Uh, and Scotty Mack was putting on a bit of a charge from the less fancy end of the grid when he smacked the wall. Now, I'm not sure... Too many supercars drivers would have been feeling that bad for Scotty uh, when, when he went out of the race, given he kind of gave them a bit of a kick in the pre-Indy 500 chat. Now, he reportedly told the Associated Press that he comes from a series full of backstabbing and enjoys how friendly IndyCar is compared to supercars. Stefan, what did you make of all that? Yeah, it's, it's, it's sad really, isn't it? I guess that's my reaction to it, that it's, Sad that he feels that way and then also said that this is how he's portraying supercars to the world when he's he's such a good, really, export story for the category and, you know, supercars really made him into into what he is and given him the opportunity to, to do the amazing things he's doing over there in the US now. Um, you know, obviously it was really intense, especially in that 2017 to 2020 period there in supercars but i just would have thought once the war was over you know he'd moved on he's doing great things that this wouldn't really keep coming up again too much uh, you know if, if you look back through through history like you know winners have always been treated with a bit of suspicion and you know talk of parody and sometimes cheating and all that sort of stuff which was all really heightened in that Penske period, but it just got yep. so personal amongst the driver group, didn't it? That's what really oh, set yeah. this apart from many examples that we could have we could sort of back over from previous previous years or decades. But I mean part part of it was sort of Scotty fanning the flames, like that self uh proclaimed salt harvester thing that mm. he had going on. Like he sort of yep. lent into it, which you know, it, it probably worked for him in terms of uh, creating that us and them. Us versus them, you know, the results were absolutely unquestionable. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's clearly something that uh, that still still cuts for him, doesn't it? It clearly does, and um, and I think the comments still cut on the other side as well because uh, yeah, there was the odd the odd bit of Schadenfreude showing up on my phone um, after that from various people around the supercars paddock, but. Um, yeah, look, what I wonder is, you know, he kind of said last week as well that the Bathurst 1000 is not really on his horizon at the moment. He wants to focus on his life in the US and his career in the US and all of that's completely understandable. But you do have to wonder, you know, if perhaps the fact that he doesn't really want to engage with the supercars paddock on that level, on that personal level, like as in being there and taking part in a supercars race, whether that's playing on his mind as well. What do you reckon? Yeah, 
possibly. It's uh, it's hard to know. It was it was just sort of the the yin and the yang of, of Scotty that this stuff was coming out like pretty much on the same day as there was also the great feel good stories of being reunited with his family after all this time. Um, when they went over there to the US. So, yeah, we talked about last week whether he's um, going to ever come back to do a co-drive or whatever, but um, full credit to him that he's, he's going so well um, in IndyCar that you'd imagine that's going to be a full-time home for him for, for quite a while. Like, there was no guarantee of that when he went over, like how long no. this would last. But, um, man, he's, uh, he's put in the work and he's really proved uh, how good he is uh, on the track. Absolutely, no doubt about that. Anything else from the uh, Indy 500 that caught your eye? Oh, I think you, you covered it off before with Scotty Dixon. He was the uh, he was the heartbreak story, wasn't he? That he really um, had that one lined up, and and he just sped in the pit lane on the last pit stop. It's um, you know, thank goodness he won the race. Uh, I think 2008 was when he did it because um, his run outside of that's been uh, so frustrating. How was the um, the thing that I've got to say that I really couldn't quite believe, and not being someone who covers open uh, oval racing all the time, but like when Ericsson was leading when that race restarted at the end there, I mean the commentators called it the Swedish snake, but like the way you can weave on the straights there, like it's it's nuts, right? Yeah, no, that's that's a uh, I thought the same thing. Um, it's uh, one of those things that you can understand why he would do anything you need to do and. To, to win that race, like it was the last couple of laps of the Indy 500, um, and it seemed like he had watched the previous races where uh, that was quite successful, but he just took it to an extreme level. And even <laughs> coming to the white flag, he uh, swerved so low coming out of turn four that he was actually sort of in the pit lane entry. Um, it was like some sort of need for speed move, then ducking out the way of the the uh, pit, uh, pit entry wall. But, um, yeah, that was that was extreme. I don't know whether they're going to look at that going forward or whether that's just how, how the race is going to be from now on. Yeah, it seems crazy. I mean, we're used to sort of like, you know, you can make your move and then that's it. You, once you're committed to a line, you're committed to a line whether you're defending or attacking. But it seems that it's uh, it's anything goes in the dying laps of the Indy 500. It was spectacular to watch, but I was just watching it going, what on earth is going on here? Yeah, it's funny how all these uh, races and these categories have their nuance like, um, yeah, you see that it's madness in the commentators. They're like, oh, he's just doing the snake. You know, that's that's what they do. <laughs> the, the, or the or that whole, the whole thing about um, yellows coming out and then people potentially grinding to a halt because they're not allowed to pit and they're out of fuel and their whole whole Indy 500 could be over and you're just like, well, this this doesn't make any sense. Like, yep. <laughs> yeah, it's yep. uh, the quirks of the Indy 500. Absolutely. Let's get on to the Monaco Grand Prix now. To me, Stefan, the main talking point was the start. There is there is little I dislike more in modern motorsport than this trend of not racing in the rain. We're talking about the world's best drivers earning tens of millions of euros a year in cars with more grip than anything else on the planet, and it rains a little bit, and she's done. Not happening. I hate it. I, I, I really do. And I know there were some issues with power outages and whatever, but- it all sounds like excuses to me. Like road circuit racing happens in wet and dry conditions. Uh, to me, that the conditions weren't life endangering. If that was a state race meeting, they would send a field full of kids in Formula Fords out there and go, just go for it. But these Formula One drivers, you know, the FIA has become so risk averse. 
it, it just doesn't have like am I being too much of a reckless rebel without a cause here Stefan with these views but it looks to me they should just have been racing they should have started that race yeah risk averse is definitely the key key phrase out of, out of that um, it was it was interesting that that initial decision not to start them seemed to be because they knew this downpour was coming it wasn't actually the conditions at that moment it was it was looking slightly into the future which is not sort of normally what you'd expect you'd expect them to be reacting and making decisions based on the conditions that are prevailing at the time but at the same time in, in the modern world you can kind of see how you know if if you send people out into a situation that you know is going to deteriorate and it did like that downpour was huge when it did come um if yeah if you sort of um have that knowledge that it's coming and you, you start it there can be a lot of paperwork to do afterwards if it goes wrong so yeah, it's um, part of it. It feels like was just the communication thing as well. That a lot of why they were making these decisions and also that power outage stuff that you speak of wasn't really being communicated through the broadcast and and so on. Which um, when you're just sitting there watching a track that looks like it's in a raceable condition and the cars aren't racing, it's, it's incredibly frustrating for for the spectators. I just think even with the downpour, whatever drive to the conditions, all that sort of stuff. There's just this bizarre disconnect between what Formula One is doing and what the FIA is doing at the moment in terms of like, you know, we can't possibly put drivers at any sort of risk. And then Formula One sitting there going, hang on a minute, we're like our popularity is hanging off a series called Drive to Survive where we're trying to talk about how these guys are risking their lives day in, day out for Grand Prix glory and then – we go to a race, they're like, well, it's sprinkling. We better not, we better not race. And the drivers are like, the, the drivers are at fault as well because they're always on the radio straight away. Oh, we can't drive in this. It's pretty wet out here. I mean, yeah, it's wet. You all grew up racing in Europe. I'm sure you've raced in the rain many, many, many times. And you have the, you sort of end up with a split of drivers going, well, look, we should just be racing. And then guys saying it's too, but they're always on the radio. It's too slippery. I just think that we've bred this culture of not racing in the rain and that's where it's just going to end up. That's where it's hurtling towards at the moment. If it's wet, it's not going to happen. There's going to be no racing. So I just think just go racing. I think your point there about Netflix and so on is uh, is actually the argument for the fact that the FIA plays an important role there, that you don't want the people who make the money out of the entertainment to necessarily be uh, calling the shots in uh, in matters of safety. Well, maybe I do, Stefan. Maybe that's what, maybe that's what I, think, I think that's exactly what I'm saying. That's what I want to happen. Anyway. Well, elsewhere around the world, Peko Bagnaia won on home soil for Ducati at the Mugello MotoGP race. Fabio Quattararo was second and Aleix Espargaro was third. Mark Marquez, who finished 10th, looks to be out for the rest of the season after announcing he'll take a break for another operation on his right arm. It was a tough day for the Aussies in the field. Jack Miller was 15th and Remy Gardner 19th. And the Phoenix Audi, driven by Kelvin Vanderlinder, Dries Van Tor, Fred Vervish and Robin Frines, won the 24 hours of the Nürburgring. Vantor was lucky to get away with an early skirmish with his brother, Lawrence, which ended with the elder Vantor and his Porsche in the wall and out of the race. Stefan, I think it's time to dip into the Castro mailbag. Uh, Damien Smy asks, what would you do if you were Daniel Ricciardo? What's the best way out for him, whether that means success at McLaren or elsewhere? I mean, 
Yep, it was another tough outing in Monaco for Danny Rick. I think it was, what did I say at the top of the show, seven spots behind his teammate. Um, I tell you what, if I was him, I wouldn't like the chat from Zach Brown that we saw before the race about there being mechanisms in the agreement should they not want to continue or should one party not want to continue for next year. Um, and, you know, Brown saying as well, quite candidly, which is Zach Brown's way and, and it's what that's a good thing, but saying that, you know, that, 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 that Daniel hasn't met the expectations of the team. I mean, it's not a good look, right? Well, it's it's definitely fascinating how that's playing out. But, yeah, it's it's also like a symptom of the modern world that Zach can say something so obvious, like this is not working out how either party would like, and it be sort of interpreted as like Zach threatening Daniel's job. Uh, and and all the right. stuff about yeah. the mechanisms in some in which we're committed to each other, others in which we are not, I think was the quote. Like a lot of it's being portrayed as as McLaren sort of threatening him. But, you know, I, I don't know. W- would Daniel want to go on like this for another season? Like it's – to me the weird part about it is we've had this massive change to the rule set from 21 to 22 and Daniel seems to be struggling with the same things. Like we, we know he's mm. he's a very very good driver, but his biggest his biggest asset, if you like, was always that that braking and the corner entry phase that seemed to be uh, sort of a real strength, and he just can't do what Lando can do with this McLaren or the old McLaren. So even if there was another new McLaren next year, is it going to get any better? Like Daniel is being honest with it too. Like he's really struggling, and he's not someone really yeah. that can hide. I don't think too well. When he is struggling, it's just so frustrating for him and it's not the Daniel out of the car that we're used to seeing either. So the question really is, is there anywhere else for him to go? Do you see any other place on the grid for him or could this genuinely be it? That is definitely the question. To come back to the original point that you made, which I think is a really good one, I guess, you know, and us as journalists, we we understand this so well. Usually, even if something is so obviously going terrible, you sit down with a team boss or whoever and say, well, this isn't going well. And they'll just by instinct be like, yes, it is. It's going great. And come up with this list of excuses about why that question was a stupid question to ask, even though, as you say, it's the most obvious question in the world and it's obviously not going well. So I guess that's why, you know, journos have jumped on these comments because there is actually a candid answer and a team boss going, yeah, you're right. Actually, this is not going well. Uh, and going, oh, wow, that wasn't expecting that answer. Um, yeah, in terms of where he goes next, that is really tough because you can't imagine it's up the grid. But I suppose that, you know, things have been shaken up to enough a point that you wouldn't have thought that Valtteri Bottas was making a step up when he went to Alfa Romeo and he kind of he kind of has in a way. Um, so it's definitely an interesting phase for Formula One. What could he do outside of Formula One? I don't know. What I find, I sort of have a theory that maybe, but we don't quite know how good Lando is yet. We know he's good but we don't know how good or how great he is. And, you know, if you look back to when Michael Schumacher came back to Mercedes and he was paired with Nico Rosberg and Rosberg was was thumping him pretty hard and everyone said, oh, Michael's completely lost the plot. He's You know, he's no good anymore. He's getting beaten by Rosberg. And, you know, Rosberg ended up going and beating Lewis Hamilton to win a world championship. So it was probably more of a case that people weren't giving Nico Rosberg the credit he deserved in that instance, rather than, you know, they just focused on the fact that, that Michael wasn't doing any good. And I sort of wonder if perhaps, and we won't know the answer to this until well down the track when Lando is 
the finished product and we know exactly where he's at, but perhaps we're kind of, you know, we're so focused on on Daniel struggling and we're maybe overlooking the fact that maybe Lando is just like really, 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 really good, you know? Yeah, and I, th- I think that's the conversation if he's doing it by a couple of tenths, but it's it's a multiple rows of the grid, you know what I mean? Like there's something yeah, yeah. fundamentally wrong. But but to carry your point, like I think we already have seen a little bit of the fact that like uh, Lando was really closely matched with Carlos Sainz at McLaren and we didn't really know where either of those guys were at, to be honest. Um, yeah. And then like Carlos has had plenty of struggles this year, but last year he went to Ferrari and he was pretty competitive against Charles. So yeah. I think that, that was a bit of a sign that, hey, Lando's actually at a pretty – Pretty high level already. Um, yeah, and he's so early in his development as well. Yeah, 100%. So I think, yeah, it, it almost is, unless they can work this out pretty quickly at McLaren, unless something can click, it is that sort of Valtteri to Alpha situation that maybe is the best case for, for Daniel that he picks up something a little bit further down that's a better environment for him and we can get back to seeing him uh, at his best and making the most of whatever equipment he's got. All right, well, you know what time it is now, Stefan. It is Castrol Star of the Week time. Who gets the chocolates for you this time around? Well, I'm going with somebody I wrote about on V8 Sleuth yesterday, Max Gagan. Mm-hmm. So Max made his racing debut in XLs at Queensland Raceway on the weekend. And uh, with a bit of coaching from his uh, good friend Brock Feeney, he uh, took a race win on Sunday afternoon. So I thought that was a really cool story, and uh, certainly I hope this is a name that we hear uh, more of in the years to come. Uh, I'm going to go with Renus VK. Uh, if you've never seen it, he does a funky little spin during the Indy 500 driver intros. He's done it for the last couple of years, and being on the front row, he gave it a little, little extra gas this year, and it was just a very enjoyable way to kick off when I was watching the replay of the race on Monday morning. It's worth a Google if you missed it. Um, he... Um, he did another little spin during the race, which didn't work out quite as well for him. He definitely canoed his uh, his orange racing car there. And, uh, yeah, speaking of orange cars, it's a lovely Dutch name, Renus. That was my grandfather's name and not one you hear all that often. So that's not why he gets Star of the Week. It was for his little spin, but he's my boy this time around. Well, that's it for this week. Remember to like, subscribe, and review our work wherever you listen to your podcast. And we'll be back next week with more Castrol Motorsport News. Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services, and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 W Racing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au.